once again. Thank you all for joining us. This is Nuance. I'm Mike Scala, and we'll be talking about the controversy over whether naturalized citizens should be able to run for president, amongst other things. Of course, I'm joined by our co-host, Jay Carter, also known as Timid, the hip-hop artist and the chair of BLM Tokyo. What's going on, Jay? Whoa, what's up with you, man? I'm doing all right. Um, just preparing today for uh, trying to get out. It's going to be a little bit warmer today, so I had to get get some stuff together to to take a short walk and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I needed that. Yesterday was cold as all get out, so. Yeah, well, it snowed here in New York, I believe, for the first time in over two years. So we haven't what? been here, but as soon as I got back to New York from Florida, it hit with the snow. And it's funny because it really increased my feeling of not wanting to go back out. Of course, when you get back from a long drive like that, you just want to chill out for a minute anyway. Absolutely. And it's kind of funny, right? Because you just took a vacation of sorts for a few weeks, you're back. And now it's like, you need another vacation because you're tired from that long vacation, especially the drive and everything. But, you know, I was just kind of getting back to work, but working from home and chilling out a little bit and then the snow hit. And so I really don't feel like going anywhere right now. I feel like staying in for the rest of the week and just working from home kind of at a leisurely pace, right. And kind of easing myself back into things, uh, chilling out, kind of wishing I was back in Florida, to be honest, weather-wise. I, I get that. I definitely get that um i think it was like I, I kept wondering i had my heater on yesterday and just like it's chilly but my heater's been on and i checked the temperature and it was like you know like 36 degrees outside and i'm like well that's why like it's much colder than normal mm. and so you know it, it's it was good that i could turn it up and it got me thinking because i'm talking with um some people from an organization out here we're trying to get some blankets and clothes out to the victims of the uh, earthquake that happened at the at the front of the uh, the year. And as the temperature is dropping, it's like, you know, I do feel lucky that I'm able to be inside with with a heater and you got people that are displaced um, a few prefectures away. So, yeah, it's it's, you know, count those blessings and, and whenever you can. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's always good to help those less fortunate, right? Pay it forward. Yeah. Yeah. So. So I've been talking about my experiences on the road and in the South, observing the cultural differences between the Northern and Southern U.S. It's something I never really encountered to that degree until this trip for some reason. You know, it's not like I've never done this trip. I've driven through the South many times in my life. But yeah, I never really encountered the cultural differences as much or maybe had these moments of clarity. Right. Where it's like, aha, that's a big difference. You know, maybe here and there. I remember like one time I was with our boy scheme. We were driving in, I guess, South Carolina somewhere, pulled over at the Burger King and they put mustard on the burger. And that's, I guess, the thing that they do in the South. Right. And so I think scheme. Oh, yeah, they do. So scheme was like, oh, we're from New York. We don't we don't like that. And I remember the girl behind the counter was like, oh, you know, I don't like it either. And she was like trying to bond with us because I think she thought we were cool New Yorkers. So she was trying to bond with us over our mutual distaste for mustard on the burger. But telling us, well, everyone around here does that, but we're rebels because we don't like it. So that was like one of my Southern experiences. But aside from that, you know what I mean? Like, I don't really deal with a whole lot when I'm in the South. That's wait, But 
There's mustard on the burger in, at Burger King in New York. That's that's their what? main recipe. There's no mustard on the burger. No, on the hamburgers and cheeseburgers, mustard? absolutely. Mustard, absolutely. It's it's mustard and ketchup. Get out of here. Yeah. On a burger from Burger King. Yeah. No way. Not yeah, the, the Whopper. Man. Not the Whopper on the hamburger. In the South, they do that. Not in New York. In New York, they do it too. Get out of here. Yeah, everywhere. That's part of the regular recipe. Are you sure about that? I, I yeah, I did six years at Burger King in New York. Uh, and no, in Florida and Hawaii when I was in okay, school and college. About in New York. No, it's the same recipe across the country. I don't think so. Whopper. The Whopper doesn't have mustard on it. The Whopper only has ketchup and mayonnaise. The hamburger and the cheeseburger. We pulled into this Burger King and it was different from the burgers that we usually got. And it was the mustard. <laughs> no, we're not used to that. They don't, I don't think they put that on, on Burger King burgers in New York. Mm. True. Okay. Okay. Tell so one in the chat. Let us know. <laughs> I don't so. think that's a thing. That's a southern. I think that's a distinctly southern thing to put to put mustard on a hamburger. We don't put mustard on our hamburgers. Well, that's I do remember. I do remember when you um, the first time you came to uh, Florida when you uh, came. Well, or at least the first time you came to visit me in Florida. Um, when you pulled up, you were pulling up. I believe it was at night that you arrived. And um, we Our were standing up, <laughs> right? The stars in the sky. I remember that because you were like, you looked at me like, is it always like that? <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, all those stars. I'm like, yeah. You're like, we can't see those in New York. It's like, what? Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So here is the latest one. This was from this recent trip. And again, I've encountered or maybe just noticed more cognizant of it more, you know, this time. I don't know. But I noticed when I was at the Cracker Barrel, first time at the Cracker Barrel, right? But I, I hear about it online sometimes. People talk about, oh, we go to the Cracker Barrel for breakfast or whatever. And so right. I've never been in one. So I said, let me go check it out. When I was walking in, I was just holding the door open as this woman was coming out, kind of like an older woman coming right. out of the restaurant. And she smiled and she said, hi. And she looked at me smiling for a few seconds. And I got confused because that's not something that would happen in New York. Yeah, maybe someone will say thanks and they keep it moving, but they don't go high and smile at you. And so to me, that was a signal that she knew me or recognized me or knew who I was. And, and so I was confused for a few seconds. I'm like, who is this woman? How does she know me? Why does she know me? Where has she seen me? And then, of course, then after like two seconds, just, okay, she's just being, this is a Southern thing. It's different. It's a subtle difference. That kind of interaction you wouldn't expect in New York. And then I think she did say thank you, maybe because I didn't say, like, I think I was just like confused. I said, I might have said like, hi, maybe under my breath or something like that. And she was like, you know, thank you. And I said, I said, you're welcome. And I walked in. But it was definitely a different type of interaction than I would get up here. I'm trying to think of my experiences uh, in New York. Yeah, I probably didn't experience that, but that wouldn't strike me as odd because I also partially grew up in the South too. So that wouldn't strike me as odd. Um, that would, you know, that would that would strike me maybe a little odd in Japan because even though people, I guess the impression is that they might be friendly, people do tend to stick to themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, and so people don't generally ho hold the door open for other people. Okay. So like even doing that is kind of, for them, it'd be a little strange. Like, right. And 
there's been things that is really and they don't really kind of it, it it's one thing is really frustrating because um for for us as a guy you, you see a woman coming maybe if they're behind you you know you might open the door and let them come in first mm -hmm. right um even if you're in front of them like if they're behind you okay yeah open let the let the woman come in old woman young woman doesn't matter right um but they don't get that that cultural thing some of them and so like there's been times i've done that and it's a woman behind me and then oh, some yeah. other random guy and a guy would just like snake in in between like i was holding it open for her like it like for him like dude what are you talking wait wait get back what are you i thought you were gonna say even that the woman would be suspicious like why are you doing this you're gonna try to set me up or rob me or something no no they would they would get they would get it because i'm a foreigner mm -hmm. because oh, that's their their impression from the movies gotcha. that uh that us they think that, that americans are more friendly than they are in that regard right. so they have this idea that we because you know we have the saying ladies first yeah and so they understand ladies first they don't have that in japan no oh and okay. so if i do that then then if i if i open the door for a woman then they're going to be like oh see this is that ladies first that we see on tv and in movies and stuff right right but you know generally from us if i were to if there is a woman and a guy both that aren't aren't together or whatever and you hold the door open we would generally know that it's a it's for the woman to go in right not we're not holding it open for the dude right here it's less like oh open door okay right. <laughs> and so it's happened many times i've hold the door open and like a guy that's just randomly there would just like sneak in front a dart in front of the woman that i was holding it open for yeah, it's just not here, even not, think about you're holding doors open for everyone right you know what i mean like no nah, dude come on stop it get back get back here let let the old woman go in first yeah yeah that is funny you know and someone on my thread was saying because i posted about my experience in south carolina someone was saying when they were in the south they would be suspicious of people who would do that who would say hi or you know who would show that outward hospitality right they, they call it the southern hospitality because they're not used to it so in New York, if people were to approach us like that, we might think of it as some kind of angle. They're going to try to ask us for money or they're going to try to scam us. Somehow. They're going to try you know what I mean? they're going to try to sell us something. That's kind of our mentality. And I think that's what it is. That's why we're a little bit suspicious of strangers, because we think everyone has an angle as a hustle. Right. But we are still nice just in a different way, because, you know, like we were saying, it is customary to hold a door open for someone, especially a, a lady. Right. That's you do that in, in the States and certainly in New York. But People don't, it's a subtle thing, right? They don't say hi as much. They just say thanks and keep it moving. But this is right. more like an invitation to, for a conversation. It was a little confusing to me because I'm thinking, like, I just held the door open. So now where is this supposed to go? Am I supposed to say, how's your day? How's the wet? Like, you know what I mean? Like, because you wouldn't do that anywhere. It could just be like, you yeah, know, no problem. Keep, keep it moving. Right, right. It's, yeah. Yeah, and you said, like, like um, it's not like there aren't some niceties with, with the culture in New York. Right, right, and right. I've, and I've said, I've said, I think, I've always said New Yorkers are like M and M's. So they've got the hard, the hard right. shell on the outside, and then like the soft center. So like when you, especially if you go go to a, a shop or something like that, isn't there usually a nut in the middle though? Well, there, there's some. There's peanuts, and then there's regulars. But Regular yeah, meat. they all have the hard shell. Too, the right? They could be like nutty on the inside too. <laughs> but uh, I mean, think about it like this: like it, it's a very common interaction, at least in my experience. Like. You may go to like a, a a shop, right? And the person behind the counter 
may not be like the super friendliest. They can there's still that that New York distance, right? Mm-hmm. That little. But if you make a connection, then yeah. all of a sudden it's like yeah. they're telling you about their family, right. about their friends. Right. Oh, I got a guy like I'm. I'm telling you though, I just maybe it's just my theory, but I really strongly believe this, having lived in New York most of my life. We will say hi, we'll say what's up, but we generally want to keep it moving because we feel like right. if someone is trying to engage you in a conversation. Right. They're going to try to sell you something or ask you for money or something like that. They're going to try to, they're going to try to get something out of you, right? They're going to try to hustle you somehow. That's why we keep it moving. It's not that we're trying to be rude. It's that we don't want to be scammed. We don't, we don't want to get got. And yeah. I think there's a feeling that, right? Like if someone keeps talking, because that's usually how it happens, unfortunately, in New York. If someone keeps the conversation going, usually before long, it's going to be a story about how they, they need money or something like that. And that's right. why people tend to be a little more standoffish in, in that regard. But mm. um, it is funny to compare new york even to other countries like you mentioned japan and people talk about the uk as well they say compared to the states and even new york they say the uk is a pretty standoffish kind of place in, in terms of strangers interacting in public right like you don't talk to a stranger in public i say the most you know I, from what i was reading anyway there was like you know the most would be maybe someone would, would walk by you and go all right like that kind of like nod and keep keep it moving but people don't really right. talk to each other or greet each other in public that way right 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 yeah i think yeah and there, there's varying levels, right? Yeah. Um, like you said, there may not be a high or whatever, but there may be a what's up or just a head nod or an acknowledgement of somebody and you just keep it moving, you know, in New York. You may not s- stop and talk or anything like that. Just be like, if you're walking past someone, you just make that 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 head nod, what's up type of thing mm-hmm. or whatever it is, and then you keep it moving. So, in or New even York, like... Yeah, in New York, or even like, say, for example, if you're going out, if you're going uh, out a door and someone's coming in, you might just be like, what's up? And they'll be like, what's up? And then you just keep on moving. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. And again, it's not like everyone, I think, is against helping people or even giving money to people who need it. But it's the feeling of just being taken advantage of, right? Because like you're you're giving someone kindness and and they're giving you kindness, but then it turns out to kind of be a front because they're pretending like they're trying to just be all friendly, but really they want something from you. And then you feel like you're being taken advantage of, right? Whereas if it was more direct, if he just said, hey, listen, I need some money, then maybe people would help him out. Some people wouldn't, but it's like, it's the rules that we don't like, right? We don't like feeling like we got somehow hustled. What's well, a tough it's a tough city and everyone's yeah. everyone's got to be uh you know everyone's on guard and everyone's uh trying to you know make it through it it's a it's a tough city to 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 get through so yeah yeah but people will be very kind also i think that point sometimes gets lost on people like if you need help you know let's say your car breaks down or you you have to change a flat tire and you're stuck on the side of the road people will come by and help you you know what i mean it's not yeah. like everyone's out there just out for themselves and being rude it's just more in the way we interact i think when we see each other it's kind of like a code different cities different cultures have different codes right and ways of kind of interacting but it doesn't right. mean that we're just asses right i mean people really are friendly <laughs> look out for each other here i think um and sometimes i catch people by surprise right 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 so so yeah it's interesting it's always interesting to observe these cultural differences and i always talked about this maybe someone will steal this idea and if you do i don't care because i want to see it there should be a documentary on where the south begins culturally and i was having this discussion with isaac because you know he lives in maryland and he was pointing out the mason dixon line i said yeah and that's often used in official categorizations right but the mason dixon line is between Pennsylvania and Maryland, meaning Maryland is considered the South, according to that. But culturally, it's really not. 
And Isaac pointed out that, for example, Maryland was with the Union in the Civil War, wasn't fighting just slavery, right? Virginia was in the South, but not Maryland. Yeah. That So that could be one way of looking at it. And also it's just, you know, the, the culture, right? You can kind of see the Southern accent, for example, the niceties that, you know, when you, when you hold the door open in Maryland, are they going to say hi? Probably not. In South Carolina, they will. So you start to you know, trying to pinpoint where does it begin culturally. When you're in Northern Virginia, right outside DC, it still feels kind of Northern. It doesn't feel quite like New York, but it kind of does. It feels like a New York light in a sense. And a lot of people from that area are transplants from the Northeast. But then when you go further South, like when you hit Richmond, certainly it feels like the South. So somewhere between the DC area and Richmond, the South begins culturally, I think. But where exactly, could you pinpoint that, right? That would be an interesting, look right yeah. to i think virginia is probably as you go further south and, and see where they think it it starts and just how it seems to start yeah i think i think virginia is probably that first that first line where yeah, it absolutely. starts to sound yeah but where in virginia right where exactly Fredericksburg. i mean where it's would it all be of it. it's all it's all anything all in yeah. <laughs> no but i'm telling you i look i spent a lot of time in alexandria it doesn't feel like the South. I understand you could plausibly say it's the South because it's Virginia and you know, that's all good, yeah. but it's, it's way different there than compared to Richmond. Let's say in Richmond, you feel like you're in the South. Alexandria, you don't, you don't get the Southern accents nearly as much. It, it just kind of feels like New York light, you know, it feels because it's DC, it's DC area still. Right, 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 right. Um. So that's what I would, would like to see. And in fact, I stopped at a place. Oh man, I forgot the name of it now. Soups something like that uh it had some funny name it, it said fresh food made to order and it was right mm -hmm. off the highway so i went in there but really it was a gas station but when you go mm -hmm. in there it's kind of like a mock subway type place where there's all types of subway sandwiches that you can get but you order them from a computer and so you know, you're instead of talking to someone and saying this is how i want my sandwich you're, you're pressing all your options on the screen and then they make it and then it comes out and that was between richmond and dc but I think it was still closer to Richmond than it was to DC, right? I think figure if it's about 90 miles, give or take, in that in that space, maybe it was 30 miles north of Richmond, something like that. And it still kind of felt like the South there. But that will be in my documentary. Right? I would, you know, as I was leaving, I said, man, I wish I, I would have actually spent time to talk to the people who work there and ask them, like, do you feel like this is where the South begins? Is it a little further south, a little further north? Can we pinpoint it, you know, culturally? And, and it may not be a, a definitive answer. It, it kind of could be like, you know, shades of gray as, as you get closer to Richmond, but still be interesting to see. That could be something that could be even a mini documentary where you just take that drive in that right. area, and just interview people on, on the street or in places and ask them, do you think you're in the South? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And why? And why? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's true. But like you were saying, I bet you some people even in Northern Virginia will say yes, because they would say all of Virginia is a Southern right. state. You'll get that too. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's always Boom. Put the project on the docket. We'll get, <laughs> we're just talking about uh, putting Isaac's camera to good use. Oh yeah. Boom, there it is. We got it. That's true. We should get Isaac in on that too, since he's from that area. Um, yeah, I'd be what's up. So yeah, and, and you know what? I actually... I've, I've, what was it? I'm trying to think of what would we, we consider DC? It's not the South. It's not the North. I guess it's just. Mid Atlantic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, so. but it is, though, in my opinion, DC is culturally more North than South. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I would say that. So. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> well, okay. Speaking of what's up, because you said that's what's up, I, <laughs> I put up a post on Reddit in a subreddit called "Mark My Words," right? Mm. And this is a subreddit where people make predictions. I was trying to spark some discussion on here about the Supreme Court case concerning whether the former president is eligible for the ballot under the 14th Amendment's insurrection clause. Really, the reason why I put this up was because I'm on Reddit at Nuance Show, and I kind of just browse to see what people are talking about. And it was a little striking to me that most people on here, from what I observed, seem to be a little, what I would say, delusional, I guess, or maybe thinking more with their heart than with their mind about this. It seemed like people who were anti-Trump were all predicting that he would be kept off the ballot by the Supreme Court. Then you had the pro-Trump people who would say, no way. And I couldn't find people really offering a reasoned viewpoint that took out their own politics and their own feelings and just you know was based on the reality of, of how the Supreme Court is or even a constitutional argument that's disconnected from the politics. It's, it's hard to find that on here. It seems like everyone is just hyper-partisan and their opinions even about what they think is going to happen in court are shaped by this hyperpartisanship. And, you know, that was a little striking to me. And so I put up this post saying the, the Supreme Court will keep him on the ballot without ruling on whether he's an insurrectionist, without even dealing with that part of the equation. They're going to no. talk about the office of president does not count as an office under the U.S. or talk about how Congress, not the states, can only act in this area, et cetera. They're going to look at the phrasing of the 14th Amendment and make a ruling along those lines without even going into whether he took part in the insurrection. I went on to say the liberal justices will probably dissent and spend a great deal on their dissent talking about the insurrection, but I don't think that's how the majority is going to rule. Um, and to me, you know, this was a viewpoint, again, I hadn't really seen he on here. Right. It seems like most people who are just anti-Trump are saying that they're going to find he's an insurrectionist and that's, that's it. Open and shut case. And then, of course, you had the Trump supporters saying the opposite. But I, I was trying to get this opinion out there, this prediction out there, which I think is going to be the case. I think this is how this is going. Not as someone who's pro-Trump. I'm not going to vote for him. But I do think the Supreme Court will keep him on the ballot. And I don't think they're going to deal with the insurrection part. And we can talk about why. But, you know, this is my opinion. This is my mark, my words. Right. And right. So, we got a you know a pretty good discussion on here over 400 comments looks like almost 13,000 views on this so mm-hmm. people are talking about it but i'm still not seeing a whole lot of <laughs> rational thought unfortunately yeah i mean it's it's a very like you said there's a very emotional issue for for people and um i mean we we share the same view on this point that we believe that the Supreme Court is going to allow him to stay on the ballot, um, even though, yeah, don't want to vote for him. I don't want him to be on the ballot. I don't think he should be on the ballot. I don't think he should be eligible. I think he should be in prison. But if we just look at, you know, what the Supreme Court, who the Supreme Court is made up of and how they've been ruling uh, since they've got this conservative majority and the fact that Trump put several of them on there, it's just... Um, yeah, it just seems obvious to me that they're going to keep him on. They're going to rule in his favor. Right. Now, the brief that he filed to the Supreme Court doesn't spend any time talking about him not being an insurrectionist or anything. He just flatly denies it. 
and the whole legal argument is around the phrasing of the Fourteenth Amendment, right? And right. you know, the Congress can act how all president is not considered an officer under the U.S. It's funny, someone, not someone, a lot of people downvoted me to oblivion on here because someone made the point that the president is considered an officer of the U.S. many times in the Constitution. So how could they argue for Fourteenth Amendment purposes that he isn't? I said, well, the Constitution does not say he's an office an officer under the U.S., right? Because that's the phrasing of the 14th Amendment. And so everyone downvoted me saying, oh, you split in hairs. How could you even? And then they would call me Republican, right? They were saying typical Republican talking point. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't, he has no substance. So he just tries to win by by getting technical and splitting hairs and that. Um, so they all thought I was uh, like a MAGA Republican for doing this. Similar, by the way, to what happened, I think, a while back when we talked about the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade. I think some people looked at that and assumed that I was in favor of the decision because I was explaining what the court did. It's like, you right. can't. Right. You can't say this is what I think they're going to do. This is what they have done without being labeled a supporter of that. It's like even acknowledging their existence or their reasoning automatically paints you as the enemy, which is crazy. Right. Think about it. that's the world that we're in. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they were they were getting at me for that. But that's really what a lot of this is about. And that, you know, the Colorado Supreme Court was not persuaded by that argument. Of course, they said that he is, in fact, ineligible. But the lower court, the original court that found that he was engaged in the insurrection, said he was nonetheless eligible. And they mentioned these ideas, right, that, you know, he, he may be an officer of the U.S., but he's not an officer under the U.S. And they were saying that it's not under the United States. It's on the same level almost. It's, it's the, the head of the executive branch of the U.S. as opposed to being under the U.S., and they, you know, they made some different distinctions as to what would be considered under the U.S. versus of. And yeah, I mean, so maybe if you're not a lawyer, you think that's completely ridiculous and and just, you know, uh, like, 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 why would you even waste time debating? This, is, this sounds so stupid. It's asinine, right? Why would you say of versus under? But this is what lawyers do. And this right. is what judges do. And yeah, they do look at these words, even, you know, <laughs> prepositions. And you wouldn't think they would have a lot of meaning, but they do. And then you look at the fact that in the 14th Amendment, one part of it talks about officers under the U.S. and then another part of the same amendment, same provision, talks about officers of the U.S. And then you ask, well, was that a coincidence? Was that done intentionally? Is it interchangeable? But, you know, maybe it is, but these are all arguments that get made. And then people start looking at how these words and these phrases are used in other contexts throughout history and in other provisions, other parts of the law and et cetera, et cetera. And so these things get debated to death in, in court. So that was part of the case of the original decision where they said that he was eligible. It was kind of, we talked about it on here. It seemed like a weird decision for them to find that he was in fact an insurrectionist, right? But he was still eligible because of the phrasing of the, of the amendment. We thought that was a little, a little weird, but it's what courts do. It's what judges do. It's what lawyers do. And I believe that that's going to be a part of the Supreme court case. Why wouldn't it be if they're trying right. to find for him, Right. The lower court in Colorado said, you know, this was their reasoning why they said he's an insurrectionist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he should still be on the ballot because of these different things. Then the Supreme Court in Colorado said the lower court found he's an insurrectionist, you know, that we're, we're holding that and we're disagreeing with them on the reading of the Constitution. We think that the reading is such that he belongs off the ballot. What do you think this, the U.S. Supreme Court is going to do if they're trying to keep him on the ballot? They're going to go back to the original reading of it that the, the first court did and say, no, 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 they had it right all along. 
right? That's, that's exactly what they're going to do. And, and that's what they were doing. They're playing with those words, right? So why should we expect otherwise? And then they're right. getting on me like, oh, you're such an idiot. For, or, or you're such like a, a delusional Trump supporter. That's what they were calling me, basically. I'm like, nah, right. I'm just telling you how I'm predicting this is going to go. And, and I am going to be, you know, I don't want to be right, but I'm, I'm quite certain that's where this is going. Yeah. I mean, it, it would be... It would be like a major upset in sports of if if the Supreme Court were like, no, no, he doesn't belong on the ballot. That would be be crazy. And then you have all these different theories and <sighs> interpretations. Look, it's good to generate this kind of discussion. I'm actually happy that we got over 400 comments on this topic. But clearly, most of these people here are not lawyers, and they're saying things that really don't make any legal sense. You know, a lot of people. This this seems to be coming mostly from the Trump people. They're saying that no court can find that he's an insurrectionist unless he's actually charged and convicted of insurrection. And they're saying that that's what the Supreme Court is going to do. They're going to say he was never charged, never convicted of insurrection. Therefore, no no state can knock him off the ballot. No court can find he is without a criminal conviction. And I said, well, maybe that sounds nice to you, but that's just not how the law works. The 14th Amendment does not require a criminal conviction to keep someone off the ballot. And in fact, it's not even only about engaging in insurrection. If you read the text of the amendment, it's engaging, it's aiding, it's comforting, it's assisting. So just to give comfort to the insurrectionist, maybe he hasn't committed insurrection from a legal criminal point of view, but he will still meet the requirements of the amendment, which says that he gave comfort to an insurrectionist, right? And then some right. people said, well, no one was convicted of insurrection, but many people were convicted of- addition. Sedition. There was, uh, was it? Um, uh, seditious conspiracy, as they called it, right? Yeah. So then, you know, so then people want to split hairs on that, on that side. They'll say, well, but technically those are different crimes. Rebellion, insurrection, sedition, those are different crimes. But again, if you look at the text of the 14th Amendment, it doesn't require a conviction of any of those crimes. It's just the behavior, right? A rebellion against yeah. the U.S. Um, many people were convicted of that type of behavior. Someone else pointed out that you have you would have to be convicted or, or, or i guess uh, positive that you would need to be convicted in a criminal context and he wasn't convicted of anything yet criminally and so how can they how can it, you know the, the supreme court of colorado or, or any state kick him off the ballot without a criminal conviction um you know aside from what i just said about the 14th amendment not requiring it i also made the point that it's very common in our justice system for people to be held liable in civil court and not yet in criminal court, or maybe even acquitted yeah. in criminal court. O.J. Simpson being a very famous example, right? Acquitted in criminal yeah. court, found liable for wrongful death in, in a civil case, because there are different standards of, of evidence, right? Different burdens of proof. One is reasonable doubt, as we know in the criminal context, which is a very high burden, preponderance of evidence in the, in the uh, civil context, a, a lower burden, it means more likely than not, right? So. You don't need a criminal conviction to be held liable to lose a civil case. It happens all the time, right? right. And so people get that wrong. Also, a lot of people are, are making that mistake on here. They're saying that he wasn't convicted in criminal court, therefore he cannot be punished in any way. Yeah, he can't be punished criminally, but there still right. could be civil penalties, right? He could be sued, right. for example. He could be held off a ballot. You don't need a criminal conviction for any of that. You never do, right? So, you know, again, a lot of people are getting just just, just getting the law wrong, right? Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> just just being hip hop, as soon as you said reasonable doubt, you know, it popped into my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I can't I can't hear that phrase without thinking of that.
Um, and then, but, yeah, it's, a lot of people also bringing up this point that you know, there's too there's too many comments obviously to go through here. I'm just trying to scroll real quickly. People right. were um, hold on a second. All these different theories that they're throwing at me here. Um, what was the other one? I forget which one I was going to point out. But go ahead. Maybe it'll come back to me. You're talking about reasonable doubt. Oh, no, no, no. Just that hearing that phrase um, definitely oh, triggers yeah, yeah. the memory of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so this is what it was. So some people were saying that uh, they were conflating the 14th Amendment's insurrection clause with other provisions of the Constitution. And we actually, we'll get to that for our next topic. But there are other qualifications for president in the Constitution, like, for example, being 35. Right. Yeah. And so and that's were, citizen. Yeah. And so they were saying a lot of people are doing this. They're, they're making a mistake. They think that and maybe it's just a very kind of rudimentary way of understanding all this. I get it. But they're saying the qualifications for president are, you know, 35, not your born citizen, not being an insurrectionist. And they're kind of lumping them all together. And they're saying he simply doesn't meet those qualifications. And I said, watch the Supreme Court. They're not going to talk about whether this is an insurrectionist. They're going to talk about the process of it and the wording of the amendment. And they're going to say that the states cannot bar a presidential candidate from running under this these constitutional provisions. And then a lot of people came back to me and they're like, oh, great. So if I'm under 35, that means I can run for president. Cool. Bet. I'm like, no, that's a different part of the Constitution. That's not the 14th Amendment. We're talking about the 14th Amendment's insurrection clause, which talks about which offices can be disqualified, first of all, we, and that's part of the debate also, presidential elector or senator or congressman. Um, and then it has kind of this catch-all officer under the U.S. And so that's part of the discussion. Is president officer under the U.S.? Okay, that's part of it. And then you talk about having taken an oath of office to the U.S. And then and then you talk about, you know, Section 5 down there says Congress uh, uh, may, that may enforce these provisions. So there could be an argument. And, and in fact, they are raising that argument that Congress has to act and the states can't. And that's a whole other argument. So these are all arguments about the language of the 14th Amendment. When we talk about being under 35, that's not part of the 14th Amendment. So all these things we're talking about, they don't apply to being under 35. That's right. part of the Constitution, a different provision in the main body of the Constitution. Um, and, you know, and no. So if the court, if the Supreme Court says that the states can't bar a presidential candidate from the ballot over the interaction clause, that doesn't mean that people under 35 cannot run for president. But they're acting like that's what that would mean. You know what I mean? Like they're just not understanding that. Right. I, it, and part of it is is not wanting to understand it. Um, and you, I think you touched on it earlier when you were talking about just people getting emotional about their point of view in it, to regardless of what what's happening, what the truth is, or what the facts are. Um, you know, I feel very, like I said, again, I feel very strongly about Trump not being on the ballot. He shouldn't be on the ballot. That, But I can also see that he's going to be because that's just how things have been playing out. And some of the people just, just don't want to look at that or, or can't see that because of whatever their emotional connection is to, to their opinion. Right. You know, and... Um... One of the things that they teach you to do in law school is to look at what the other side is going to do, what they're going to say, understand their argument, not for the purpose of empathizing with them necessarily, but for the purpose of winning, right? If you All want right. to be able to effectively counter their side, you have to understand it. You have to be able to internalize it and even argue it yourself in, in a way, because that's how you can poke holes in it, right? That's how you can identify its weaknesses. It seems like a lot of people want to ignore the other side 
and just dismiss it out of hand. Like it's not even worth talking about, it's not even worth considering. And that's that's dangerous, right? Because it leads to this. It leads to this, you know, this hyperpartisan divide, people not being able to even talk to each other, people being emotional over everything, not having rational thought, and quite honestly, being deluded, right? Because a lot of people now are deluded into thinking the Supreme Court is going to agree with them. And they're not even able to, to think this through. I, I put that in there. One of the comments I responded to, I said, you know, you're less cynical than I am if you have this much faith in what's right. going to happen. But, you know, it's people just get caught, so caught up in their own bubbles, not even willing to look at the other side. And, and at least, I think, to these unfortunate consequences. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And... It's kind of a, you know, I guess it's a sign of the times in, in some respects. I mean, we're just in this really, really hyper-partisan era right now. Yeah. But um, you understand how you can never win a case. And obviously, this is not just about the case. It's also about democracy and everything else, politics. But right. to use the law as an example, because this is a Supreme Court case, you can never win a case if you won't even seriously look at the other side's argument because then you won't be able to counter their argument so you know right. like if i say the 14th amendment doesn't mention or, or it mentions being an officer under the u.s and there's debate as to whether the president is an officer under the u.s and then everyone's right. kind of like goes crazy and they're like oh you're so stupid for even saying that so i guess if i'm under 35 i can run for president now you wouldn't win that case if you showed up to the court made that argument because you're not engaging with their argument it may sound stupid even to us without that it sounded silly right. but you know what there at least one court adopted that point of view that the, the language of the amendment didn't allow Colorado to keep someone off the ballot. And now you have to engage with that. If you're trying to defeat that side, you need to engage this, you know, even if you think it's silly, you have to be able to explain why it's silly and not just deflect, which is what they're doing. They're not engaging with it because they're not even really willing to take it in. They're just dismissing it out of hand. Right. Right. And, and yeah, and you can't, you can't dismiss it out of hand, especially if it's already been ruled on. Like you have right. to deal with it. It's right. it's there. Like regardless of how you feel, this is where this is the point that is at right now. And, and at so, a right, and at a macro level, many voters, you know, have been voting that way or say that they're going to vote that way. And so again, you can't dismiss if you're trying to convince them to come to your side. You, you know, just basically yelling past each other isn't going to get you anywhere. Absolutely. Uh, and it's, it's sad that that's where we are, but, uh, you know, we'll see. This is a mark my words, right? And so I am making a bold prediction on here. We will see if I am right. I, again, don't want to be right, but I suspect that I will be. Mark my words. Um, the prediction I made on mark my words is going to be correct. <laughs> I'm doubling down. Right. right. So, yeah, I do want to segue into the next topic and not spend a whole lot of time on it. But there is a topic that we wanted to get into about uh, someone running for president who was a naturalized citizen as opposed to a natural born citizen. Right. But before we do, I just wanted to spend a minute or so talking about the Iowa caucus. I know you sent me something about someone bringing DeSantis a participation trophy, which is kind of funny. Right. But there was a stat that came out and... I'm going to have to Google to get the exact number, but they polled Iowa caucus goers who were there to caucus for the Republicans, right? So these are mostly Republican voters. And they asked them if Trump were convicted of a crime, would that be disqualified, right? Mm -hmm. And most of them said no, but the numbers were interesting because I think it was somewhere around 68%. I got to find the number, but 
you know, let's say between two thirds and three quarters of them said, no, he would not be disqualified. But what does that mean? That means that a third, you know, a quarter to a third of them, of Republicans said, yes, that would be disqualified. Now, mm-hmm. imagine in a general election, if he were to lose a quarter to a third of Republicans, and, and we're talking about these very, very tight races, you know, decided on the margins, that would be the death knell, right? That would be disastrous to lose that many Republicans because you, you need all your Republicans, um, you know, plus independents. So to lose that many Republicans, I think, suggests that if he is convicted, it's pretty much game over. You know, I I don't count this 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 guy out, um, especially when it comes to the polls. I don't I don't count him out. Um, it's it's hopeful, I think, that uh, if he gets convicted, that so many people would turn on him. But yeah, I don't I don't count him out. You know, he's going to get this. You know, I think he's he's pretty much proven. When he said that if he shot a guy in the middle of what was it, Madison Avenue, that uh-huh. that he wouldn't lose support, he's pretty much proven. Well, Fifth Avenue. I don't know about Madison Avenue. That's pushing his luck. Avenue. Fifth Avenue. Yeah, he might get away with that Fifth one. Um, so sixty-five percent said still if convicted, but thirty-one percent said he would be unfit if convicted. That's a big chunk, though. Thirty-one percent of Iowa caucus goers, right? Republicans. So you know the number is a lot higher for independents than for Democrats. <laughs> sure, sure, absolutely. So absolutely. that's that, you know, that that is trouble. The other thing I wanted to mention is, you know, DeSantis took second place. He's really put all of his resources into Iowa. I don't even think he's competing in New Hampshire. Mm. Well, South Carolina is Nikki Haley's state, where she herself is struggling against Trump. But DeSantis put all of his eggs in that basket. He really, I think, he needed to win Iowa or come a lot closer to have any momentum going forward. At the same time, it it's a shot to Nikki Haley's campaign also. It's not a good look on her to come in third after she had all the momentum really going into it, at least between her and DeSantis. And so really, this only benefits Trump, I think, going forward. As far as I'm concerned, the the nomination is pretty much locked up at this point because uh, I think both of them failed. DeSantis and Haley both failed. Not that they were expected to win, but you know, DeSantis came as such a, you know, if, if he would have had a a, a, a a close second, maybe down by a couple of points, then maybe he would have had some more energy. If Haley would have beaten DeSantis, you know, then, then she would have more momentum going forward to New Hampshire and, and South Carolina. But because of the way it ended for both of them, struggling for for, for a second, and again, with DeSantis putting all that energy, he did the full Grassley, they call it. He visited all 99 counties in Iowa, and he still... Mm barely pulled off a second place win. You know, he should have done a lot better uh, if he was going to, you know, have a serious shot. So as far as I'm concerned, Iowa pretty much sealed it. Right. Yeah. I mean, and and I'm sure they're all feeling a sigh of relief because uh, Vivek has dropped out of the race. Yeah. Yeah. And adores Trump. I mean, but he was doing that all the time, the whole time, right? I think his whole campaign was like campaigning to be Trump either in Trump's cabinet or try to be a VP pick for Trump. He was, uh, he was trying to be, you know, to swing from Trump's, you know, right. old man. Bag. <laughs> well, I saw an interview with him prior to the caucus and he was predicting a shocker, right? He said he was going to win, but they were asking him, okay, so what is your coalition? How are you going to get there? And he had a very, very particular voter that he was going after. He was like a young computer programmer and a Ron Paul t-shirt. You know, it's like, I'm thinking, yeah, but generationally, it just doesn't really work. I mean, who's who's wearing a Ron Paul t-shirt 
who's still young. I mean, he's looking for young right. people who haven't voted before. Like Ron Paul ran for president. When was that? 2008. Uh, right. You know, there might have been in diapers back then. People, like it just didn't. I think the voter he was describing didn't really exist. Right. I mean, yeah, I don't. He had his brief moment in this in this spotlight, but he just didn't deal well, and it just things didn't match up well. Just like that that picture of his his ideal voter doesn't match up well. Even his talking points and the way that he was presenting himself just didn't match up well. And so, yeah, I think he I think he realized that, and he might have known that from the beginning. And I think he was just shooting for a shot on uh, Trump's cabinet somewhere. Yeah, yeah. People do it just to make a name for themselves, right? Get, get themselves yeah. out there, get famous, parlay that into anything. Like you said, it could be in the cabinet. It could be something else in business for them. could be a show on Fox News or anywhere. You know, it's right. Be, you know. Yeah, oh, he would love a Fox News spot. Get some yeah, or he, could, he could be a YouTuber and start his own thing, right? I mean, it's sky's the yeah, limit. Yeah. You, know, <laughs> you make yourself famous and then, you know, you can go from there. Yeah, I mean, right now, actually, at the at the... The, the level of, of, of visibility that he's created, he all those options are open to him. He doesn't have to go to Fox News. He could do YouTube and make money there and social media and, and start doing um, speaking engagements or, or a book, you know, those type book types of things. He could do that. Um, yeah, there's there's alternate. There's other conservative media out there like, you know, was it the Daily Caller and and bright breitbart or whatever it is yeah these types of places yeah yeah there's there's openings for him or because... you know tiktok i think people have said that they're trying to be president of tiktok you know there's yeah once you build that profile that visibility you know there's there's a lot of options that, that he could exploit at that level so all right so let's pull up speaking of exploring options one option a Mr. Chank Uger is exploring is the president. See, even though he was not born in the U.S., right? And so he's got court cases over this. He's appealing to secretaries of state, he's trying to get on the ballot in various states with mixed results. And a one court case was already against him. And I think a lot of people hear about this and their first blush reaction is no he wasn't born in the u.s so how right. the president right that's something that we're taught in grade school in fact i even saw him say that when he tells people he became a naturalized citizen that he wasn't born here but he later became a citizen that they laugh at him the first thing that everyone says to him was haha you can't be president right so this comes <laughs> an odd reaction to say the first thing to someone yeah but i believe it though I say hey congratulations <laughs> <laughs> But I do believe oh, it. Right? I've, I've heard that throughout my life too. Not not directed at me. Obviously, I, I was born here. But you know, when when someone says that, it's like because that's what we think of based on our education, right? When we think right. of becoming a citizen, we think, oh, you can become a citizen. You can vote, but you can't. You can't be president. Like, that's the one thing you can't do, right? Because you can basically do everything else a citizen can. Right. But you right. just can't be president, right? That's just our understanding of of things. Right. So, and that comes from the Constitution, right? It's not made up. It's not right. A, conspiracy the um let's pull it up right here section one of article two no person except a natural born citizen or a citizen of the u.s at the time of the adoption of the constitution shall be eligible to the office of president right no person except a natural born citizen then they talk about having to be 35 years old 14 years of resident 
Right. The natural born citizen part has been subject to much debate and wasn't ever really definitively ruled upon, right? People sometimes get that confused also. The Supreme Court never issued a ruling on what that means to be a natural born citizen. A lot of people have understood that to mean you have to be born in the U.S. However, most constitutional scholars, I believe, interpreted as you have to be born a citizen of the U.S. Doesn't matter where you were born, but when you were born, you had to be a citizen. And in fact, there have been people who ran for president, not successfully, but who have ran for president before who were not born in the U.S. Ted Cruz comes to mind, born in Canada. Mitt Romney's father, George Romney, born in Mexico, right? Um, John McCain, you might even throw in there, born in the Panama Canal zone, I believe under U.S. territory, but not physically in the U.S., so, but right. still born, you know, all these folks were born U.S. citizens because of their parents. So if it went to the Supreme Court, would they have decided against these candidates? Maybe, you know, maybe if Ted Cruz became the Republican nominee, maybe if George Romney had become the Republican nominee, the Supreme Court would have ruled them ineligible. I tend to think they wouldn't. And we can get cynical again and say maybe it may, depends on the politics of the court at the time. You know, I don't know. Right. Broadly speaking, I don't think that they would have been held ineligible. I think that being born a U.S. citizen is a natural born citizen. Right, right. Um, so I think that's a bit of a misnomer when people say you have to be born in the U.S., but again, hasn't been really tested. Right. Which change you were, okay, go ahead. Uh, no, go ahead. No, I was going to oh. say that. That's what I was going to say. Um, so he's that, trying to take it a step further. Right. Yeah, to say that... Uh, now, I don't know what his rationale is, right? Because it does clearly say be a natural born citizen which he clearly was not so so i'm not sure what his angle is to try to all right so i'll tell you uh, he's going back to the 14th amendment (laughs) obviously a different part of the amendment right not the insurrection clause that we were just talking about right but he is going to the equal protection clause of the 14th amendment in fact if you look at section one of the 14th amendment it says all persons born or naturalized in the u.s and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the U.S. and of the state where they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the U.S., nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. So he's saying that the 14th Amendment, which was obviously passed well after the rest Mm. of the Constitution, right? This comes post-Civil War, Mm. overrides that initial part of the Constitution, uh, such was it uh, uh, Article Two, Section One. He's saying that the Fourteenth Amendment overrides that because it says that you can't deny naturalized uh, citizens of the equal protection of the laws. Essentially, you can't discriminate against someone who is a naturalized citizen, and this is discrimination. Um, there are problems with his argument, however. I'll say that. Yeah, um, I, I can. I can see how. Someone could look at that and be like, okay, this is an opportunity to argue this point. I can I can see that. But there's also, I think it's open to say that it's there's not in conflict because of the, the term natural born citizen. Right. Well, the court, actually, I think it was in South Carolina, but the decision that came out not long ago that said that he was ineligible for the ballot talked about how these provisions of the Constitution are not in conflict because the 14th Amendment doesn't specifically 
contradict the provisions of Article Two. So they're saying that you know he's trying to twist it basically so that they're in right. conflict, but the uh, constitutional provision, the original provision, talks about the requirements for president, and they're very specific about the requirements for president. The 14th Amendment has nothing to do with that. So he's trying to take a general term about discrimination and apply it to a specific term about right. the qualifications for president and, and say that they don't mesh. The other thing is he is kind of conflating different provisions of Section 1 of the 14th Amendment. So the, it starts off by saying all persons born or naturalized in the U.S., are citizens of the U.S. and of the state where they reside. Okay, well, no one is denying that. No one is saying that he's not a citizen of the U.S. or of the state where he resides. So right. he wants it that the equal protection part should apply. That's the, the bottom. If you keep reading, right, it's actually the last thing it talks about in that section. It says any person within its jurisdiction, in other words, of, of the U.S., and the states shall not be deprived of equal protection of laws, any person. So that really has nothing to do with the naturalized citizen part, really nothing to do with that. Any person mm -hmm. can't be denied equal protection. And so if, if that's your argument, then equal protection clause, that would really be the same as saying someone who wasn't a citizen at all should be able to run because it's a discrimination. Right. You're discriminating against non-citizens, right? It, it's equal right. protection replies to all persons. And so right. it's, it's not just naturalized citizens, really has nothing to do with equal protection. You know right. what I mean? And so really his argument would have to be it's a discrimination against uh, anyone to say they can't run for president. But, you know, right. that would hold. There are qualifications. And, and you know, the court's not going to say it, 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 anyone can run for president because then you can go back to I, I, you know, age. Um, you, you could make an argument for age, but when it comes to equal protection, there are different standards depending on the class of person. And so age, as far as I know, is still subject to rational basis review doesn't get that heightened scrutiny but you know natural origin does get heightened scrutiny uh certainly so you mm -hmm. can make that argument uh someone born in canada or mexico or anywhere in south america or anywhere around the world but the u.s and who is not a citizen should be able to run why because under the equal protection clause national right. origin gets heightened scrutiny gets strict scrutiny and so uh, basically any discrimination against them is presumptively unconstitutional therefore the uh Qualifications for president shouldn't apply to them. That would be the same argument, basically, right? Him being naturalized, as far as I can tell, has nothing to do with it. And so I think it's a, a poor argument. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think, I don't know, I, I wouldn't want to say what he thinks, but I think part of it is probably publicity. Um, he's been around long enough to know that it's a it's an uphill battle. And so right. I think, again, like like, just like, Vivek and you know you're raising your visibility in the public I think I think part of that comes into play with it so yeah and and, and I personally I, I don't think I, I don't think this case should should uh should succeed in that regard I think that is a good provision to have uh, to be a natural born citizen uh, in the country so uh, we'll see how that plays out. But I think ultimately, he knows he's going to lose because here's the thing. If it does, let's say let's say it gets to the Supreme Court. You think the conservative Supreme Court is going to allow him on the ballot? Absolutely not. No. Absolutely not. And I think he knows he's he's been around long enough. He's smart enough to know that he would not be able to to win in the Supreme Court. 
I don't know. Is he that smart to to know that? Is he a lawyer? I think he is. I don't, think I, I don't know if he's a lawyer. But, but I think he's, he's been around politics no. and covering things long enough. He, he knows this. But allowing him on the ballot wouldn't just mean he could be on the ballot. It would open the floodgates to really certainly any naturalized citizen, but maybe even more of that, right? Maybe even Ooh. anyone any, from any country, any citizen of, any, of anywhere. Because, uh-huh. again, if you're making an equal protection argument, it, it's right. not being a naturalized citizen. The equal protection applies to all persons. It doesn't say you have to be a naturalized citizen to get equal protection. That's the fundamental flaw in his argument, aside from the fact that the 14th Amendment really isn't applicable to Article 2, because Article 2 talks about the, the qualifications for president, and the 14th Amendment is not about that. No, right. Let's talk about the insurrection clause, which, again, now that's being debated in other cases as to its applicability to the presidency. But, you know, you have to look at w- what these yeah. provisions are actually applying to. And when you have different constitutional provisions, courts are reluctant to invalidate one provision of the Constitution as contradicting another unless there is a clear contradiction. Right. It wants to be able to read both of them as not contradictory and say this applies to the qualifications of president, this applies to other things. But, you know, unless they are inherently contradictory or specifically contradictory, the court wants to let them both live. Mm, yeah. You know, so they're going to be very reluctant to say the 14th Amendment contradicts or supersedes the Article 2 qualifications for president. You know, you, you know I, I wonder, it's, it's a slight, I, I wonder, part of it is is to be a, a it says to be um, what fourteen year resident or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, I wonder if that would disqualify me since I haven't lived in the states in like ten years. Would that yes. disqualify me, or could it be read as fourteen consecutive years recently, or it could just be fourteen years total? Because I've lived more than fourteen years in the states, but just the last ten, I haven't been in there. Yeah, I th- I'm not sure if there was actually any precedent on that point. My mm. understanding of it has been you have to be a resident for the past 14 years because I don't think they want someone to be born in the U.S., move out, let's say, at the age of 14, and live their whole life in another country and then come back and run for president immediately, right? But that would be subject to statutory interpretation you would probably look at other uh, similar statutes around the country. I know, for example, in New York, when you're talking about running for assembly or state Senate, you have to be a resident of your district, generally speaking, for a year. It has to be the year prior to the election. It can't be just any year of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe it's a resident of the state for five years, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Again, it needs to be the, the immediate five years uh precedent to that so that's usually how they go but you can start comparing and contrasting the land again this is what lawyers and judges do they look at the language of the, of the statutes right and other provisions and uh, they try to draw differences and say oh well these all say this this one isn't worded that way how come right maybe that's significant and they start debating it well i think i'm gonna join i'm gonna join with uh, with with this guy and be like you know what man they're barring us all i need to get back to eligibility um, and and one clarification, it looks like um, he actually got his uh, JD from Columbia University. Okay, so he has a JD. 
Yeah. I don't know if he's a practicing attorney. Um, according to the chat, he, what is it? He worked briefly in 96 as, a, as an associate attorney, uh, attorney <laughs> at the, at a law firm in DC and then one in New York. So, I mean, I think he's aware of it and, and so he, he would definitely be aware of the argument that's, that's being taken place, but also what he would face in Supreme Court. And even if he w- didn't have his JD, like I said, he's been around long enough. He's not a stupid man. Um, he'd be aware, aware of it. So I just found this and doing some quick research here. Herbert Hoover, apparently, from what I'm seeing here, lived in London from 1910 to 1917. And when he ran for election in 1928, he had only lived in the U.S. for 11 years upon his return, but he had the 14 years total and he wasn't disqualified. Now, oh. was that tested in court? I don't know. Maybe they just let it go or assumed that it would right. be okay. I don't know if that was actually ever tested. But, right. you know, at least there is precedent now for you to say, well, if you disqualify me, then that means Herbert Hoover wasn't eligible all along also, right? Right, right. I think I think these days the way it's it's very uh, polarized, it would be tested. Someone Probably. would, yeah. Probably. I mean, because they, they even brought it up when when Ted Cruz ran, um, and then they questioned, you know, well, Obama, uh, this and that, and like I, it would definitely be tested by someone on one party. If I ran, if yeah, I'm running as yeah. a Democrat, Republicans like, no, we don't want him on the ballot, so we're going to test that. If I even if I say I ran as a a, a Republican. Some Democrats might probably want to test that as well. So I don't know. Right. And the funny thing about that whole Obama controversy was even if it turned out he wasn't born in the U.S., he would still have been born a natural born citizen and still would be eligible to be president. And so it didn't even matter. Yeah, 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 it was clear nonsense. Um, Yeah. And, you know, one thing you could also do, uh, I feel like I'm giving you free legal advice now for when you run for president, but <laughs> you can look at the statutes in other states. For example, I believe in New York, the actual law is going to talk about being in your district for the 12 months immediately preceding the election. Whereas you yeah. saw in the constitution, it doesn't say that, right? It just says the resident for 14 right. years. And so you can say, well, how come in all these other places where they're trying to keep it so that you have to be there immediately before the election, they make that very clear but they kind of kept it more broad or vague in the constitution. Yeah. You can make that yeah. argument that when they want to ensure that you live there right before the election, they say that specifically, but they didn't say that here. Right. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, then, and those, those, those guys, I mean, what people like Thomas Jefferson and whatnot, they went back and forth. And at the time they wouldn't want to exclude themselves. I'm sure. So, Oh yeah. Yeah. So now that's, I, I, yeah, that's true. So, but, so, Hey, look, you you heard here. This is this is my announcement. I'm I'm running for for president. Put me in as a right right in candidate, and uh, yeah, let's let's get it. We've we've got work to do. <laughs> oh, you're taking <laughs> taking a tagline too. All right. <laughs> right up. Uh, so maybe should we put that as the poll? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. I just want to say I was going back to Article Two, Section One for a second because you mentioned people like. Thomas Jefferson, because they did have something in there about people who were U.S. citizens at the time the Constitution was adopted. 
mm. right? Because they weren't all natural born back in those days. <laughs> at that time, remember, this is pre-amendments, right? This is right, 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 right. So, because uh, he he lived in he lived in Europe for a little while too, Jefferson. But yeah, because wasn't he ambassador to France or something like that too? Something like that. Uh, article. I just wanted to see article to go back to article two, section one. I don't know why I'm getting all this, this commentary. I just want to see the actual text. Okay, here it is. Okay. No person except a natural-born citizen or a citizen of the U.S. at the time of the adoption of this Constitution shall be eligible to office of president. Neither shall any person be eligible to that office who shall not have attained the age of 35 and been 14 years a resident. Okay, so even that 14-year provision would apply to people at that time who were not born citizens, right? People who just were citizens at the time of the adoption of the constitution, they themselves were subject to the 14 year requirement. So yeah, mm. that gives you further, I think, uh, justification, right? Further support for your cause that the 14 years could be any time throughout your life. <laughs> It's kind of weird. All right. Yeah. You just have to like right. do your time, like a 14 year bid in the US. Right, right. But I mean, and, and it, it kind of makes sense. You wouldn't want someone just coming in from another country because, especially, um, I mean, imagine if it was just open to anybody. You could imagine, for example, uh, Putin would be put, putting plants in, oh, yeah. in the States. Um, any government, actually, any, any other government would be putting plants in it, Israel. Uh, Russia, any of these would try to be putting people in to get them into presidency to have favorability towards, you know, towards their countries. Right. But isn't that kind of what Uyghur is trying to open the door to? Maybe not deliberately, but right. saying that anyone can run, even people who weren't born citizens or, you know. Right. That would be, yeah, if, if the way that you know, it sounds like he's arguing it, it would kind of open the door to that possibility. Yeah, yeah. So well, shout out to our boy, Isaac, who recently became a citizen. So uh, All right. if Uger has his way, then maybe he can be president one day too. True, true, word up. So, all right, let's do it. The poll question of the week is, do you believe that naturalized citizens who were not born U.S. citizens should be eligible to run for president. Mm. I predict, mark my words, <laughs> the majority of people are going to say no. Mm, interesting. Even yeah. on a more uh, progressive friendly site, maybe people who are aware, maybe maybe they're followers of the Young Turks, they're still going to say yeah. no? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. yeah. I think so. All I think right. that's, I, th I, I think the majority of the of Americans on whichever side would probably say no to that. Um, the, the exception might be the younger generation. The current younger generation mm. might not agree with it, might say, oh, no, this should be allowed. Anyone should be able to be, I would think. Right. So. I mean, there is a movement to allow non-citizens to vote, right? We're seeing that yeah. take various right. forms. So maybe people who believe that might be more apt to right. vote this. So I don't know. Well, before we, we get those on there, right? Like you, you can't help where you were born. But. Yeah, that's true. But you know, yeah, it, I, I get that. But you know, it's still. 
I think that's where it would you would probably still get the majority of people who would gr- agree that you know only natural born citizens should be um, eligible, and probably a lot of disagreement about what a natural born citizen is. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you mean by natural? What right, if no, someone, I mean, was, what if someone was born via uh, artificial insemination, <laughs> or if it was a cesarean? Uh, is that that's that natural? Yeah, oh, right, right, right. No, but it also just goes back to that. You have to be born physically in the U.S., or just born a U.S. citizen. I think right, like, right. That distinction. But yeah, you're right. I mean, someone asked me not long ago, do I think that uh, AI will ever be elected president? I right. said, Alan Iverson. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I mean, he was natural born, so you know he's got the opportunity. He can dunk on the competition. That's right. This is the world we live in. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, so I was gonna say before we wrap up, yeah, uh, briefly go to over the poll um, results from last week, and uh, the poll last week was: Should New York City be able to lower speed limits without state approval? Actually, it was probably worded better than that. That was a. Uh, do you believe that New York City should continue to have to get the state's approval to lower its speed limits within the city? Um, as we talked about last week, Governor Hochul is trying to hand over the reins for that to New York City, and she's actually, I guess, she's been. This is the second time she's um, trying to do this. Uh, she has the support of the mayor, but uh, it's not going through. And so we put that poll up and we got six, uh, 34% said yes, that New York City should still have to get the state's approval. 66% said no. Mm. So they agree that uh, New York should be able to set their own limits. So Interesting. Um, you know, this some, is something we, we talked about the separation between city and state governments and how complicated and messy things can get. But really, this is an issue that affects more than the city. Right. You're talking about the right. roads. I mean, you can draw the comparison to interstate commerce. Right. And how you might have a highway, for example, that uh, is within a state, but people take that highway to travel across state lines. Maybe that same road will eventually take you out of state and maybe they can take it for in the state for, for the trip, but then you know quickly get on get on another road to go somewhere else. But nonetheless, even though the highway and, and, and the, the actual roads uh, that we're, we're discussing here, maybe within a state, it's part of interstate commerce. And so the federal government has an interest in what goes mm-hmm. on there. And I think you can draw a parallel to speed limits within New York City, really within any city or municipality, but New York City in particular, right? You, you, you start thinking about the juggernaut that it is and how important it is for the entire state and the entire region. And um, yes, I understand we're talking about the jurisdiction of the city. So maybe your first idea might be, uh, all right, it's within New York City. The city itself should be able to say what goes on within its borders, but it, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's not contained, right? We talked about people living outside the city who work in the city or vice versa people you know truckers coming in and out and just everyone using the roads uh you know i think it is i think when you really start looking into it i think you can understand why at least historically the state would have a say in the matter right um we got people here saying you know basically citing as the numbers said that new york should control its own its own streets in, in this regard. And it, it's someone mentioned that um, California managed to do this. Um, 
Any number of streets in San Francisco now have a 20 mile per hour speed limit. It's too soon to know how effective it will be. Mm -hmm. um, Are they so saying that the cities in California were able to do so without the state's approval or just that they managed to lower the speed limit to 20? Yeah, he's not very clear with this. This is San Francisco Bob here. He's not, <laughs> he's not very clear. Uh, shout out to, to SF Bob. Um, but yeah, people seem to, like I said, agree with that. And I can, and I can understand how people look at that because you would think people, you would want, um, you know, people in, in their cities tend to be like, territorial about mm -hmm. that and and look adversarial against the capital in, in many ways right My like, yeah, of course. as well right, right yeah sure yeah and it's like of course um we should control our own thing so uh, it's not really that surprising um so and someone okay. what if you are someone who lives i think we talked about the scenario last week you live either in westchester or long island somewhere Right. When you work in New York City and due to your job, the way your job is, you have to drive in, let's say, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know if you drive goods in or whatever it is, but you have to drive into the city. And this is your livelihood. This is your career. Um, should you not have a say? In other words, should your representatives where you live not have right. any input into whether the state should be able the city i should say should be able to just lower the speed limit like you know if they drop it down to 20 miles an hour and now it's taking you all this extra time to get to work and get home to your family that certainly affects you and it certainly affects the economy outside of just the city right it's you know, like i said it's not in a vacuum so do do these folks have no say in the matter you know or is it well the roads are within new york city so tough luck right right and and that's you know um i think some people are bringing up that a similar point that you know basically you know in your area this is this is what affects you this is or, or the residents in that area they know that that place they'd have to deal with these uh con these uh rules and whatnot so right they have more of a say and, in that, and, and also what about the argument that one hand should know what the other is doing i mean if you went to a system where every city municipality you know village whatever it is in the state could set their own speed limits all right now you're driving from one place to another and speed limits are going for like all right here is 45 here is 20 now it's 15 and we decided I mean, we, it's five where we live now it's 20 now it's 25 there's no uniformity at all you know what i mean right. because they're just arbitrary they're just setting whatever they want to be in their their little areas but right. the state has no oversight over this anymore they can't look at it and be like hey hey listen it, it doesn't really make sense because you know all you guys over here have it as as 25 but how, how come it's 15 right in this one little pocket maybe you got you know it, it feels like you know i understand the the idea that the state maybe comes off as paternalistic to be like looking down on the cities and saying hey you guys you know, can't do what you want without us but i think there is something to this notion that the state should be able to serve as an agent to coordinate at least right and, and say you know hey listen we, we want to have some uniformity or at least have it make sense within our borders and not be just a free-for-all no absolutely absolutely um and i think in in many regards that that's the function of the state right to, ha to have kind of that paternalistic uh type of role in there like cities cities aren't countries unto themselves or states unto themselves there still has to be some kind of thing that that lords over them so to speak yeah. um in this case should i think we i think we we looked at whether or not this is being applied if Hochul was applying this to all cities in new york 
or if it was just New York specifically, and if New York is just a, a specific case, a special case because of its size mm -hmm. and, you know, its economic right. areas and, and this and that. So. Right, right. And I think we saw that this was for New York City in particular, right? Right. I think this is, is more particular for New York. And I think there's an argument to support that as well, to say, you know, well, New York is a special case because, I mean, it's the largest city in the country, basically. So, like, it's it could function itself as a state in that regard as far as population or, or uh, economics goes. Right. So right. maybe there is reason to give it a little bit more autonomy because it has special special needs in that regards not to not to say new york has special needs <laughs> right <laughs> but i mean someone agree with that assessment <laughs> but here's the thing also the politics of this right if you want to see the speed limit in new york city continue to drop you yeah. will probably support new york city being able to lower it on its own if you think that it's dropping too much already and this is getting out of hand then you would probably support the state still having oversight because the state is more likely to, no pun intended, but put the brakes on lowering the speed limit that much, right? Because we saw in the city, there is a, a, an effort now to drop it down to 20 miles an hour citywide. Does it stop there? I mean, it's, it's going to 15 next. Well, I, I knew you were gonna uh, you were gonna say something like that. And so you're gonna like this comment here. Um, this is okay. from Thomas from New York City. Okay, what's up, Thomas? He said, New York City should be able to ban SUVs and should do it. I own a car and live in Greenwich Village. It's so difficult to see ahead of or around SUVs because they're so high profile and block the view of anyone driving a traditional sized car. They're a menace to pedestrians and other drivers. <laughs> what does that have to do with the speed limit, though? <laughs> it's funny. But it has to do with, with this idea of people trying to, uh, I guess, uh, attack driving in different ways or, or the autonomy of driving. Because it's like, okay, well, yeah, okay, you can drive, but you can't drive this type of car because this blocks my view on the road. Yeah, but so. you know what? I, I'm i kind of with them on that. Not that I would want to ban the SUVs, I, you know, not not seriously, but I understand the sentiment, right? Because when I'm driving, it seems like everyone has this, this, these big cars now. And yeah, it's true. They are dangerous. You can't see around them. And right, right. you're in a parking lot. They're taking up all the spots and like you can't can't get in spots anymore when you're pulling out the parking lot. You can't see around the cars. These, these big like buses that are there engulfing you. You know what I mean? Like they're just taking over the whole world. And when I went shopping, did I mention this? I went shopping for my last car. They just assumed I wanted an SUV. And they were showing me all these different SUVs. And I was like, no, nah, I don't want those. I, you know, I want a sedan. And, and they, they, the salesman got confused. And he was like, wait a minute. He's like, just so we're clear, you don't want an SUV at all? I said, no, I want a car. I'm here shopping a car. If I wanted a bus or a truck or a van, I would have told you that. I'm shopping for a car. You know what right, I mean? Right. It became the norm. It's like, that's just what they assume everybody wants. They're gas guzzlers. They're certainly worse for the environment. You know what I mean? Like, so I understand the sentiment. Again, I'm not seriously on the tip of let's ban all SUVs, but I get where he's coming from. Right, right. And and that, and that as, as is the nature of internet discourse, that... That spawned uh, a little bit of a uh, a thread in its own with people talking about uh, uh, yeah, and there should be there should be a a limit uh, for the 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 what was it? What are you saying? Their headlights are blinding. SUVs are probably the worst car, car invention in modern era. Era. There should be an established standard for the height of headlights. 
uh, <laughs> off the road. So this binding binding problem can be eliminated. So okay. it seems like people are just it's not a fan of SUVs. But uh, listen, when I become a soccer about. dad. I'll reconsider my position. But right, right, right. I'll right. the car. I, I don't need a bus. I don't, I don't try and drive a bus. But but so. The results say people seem seem to support this idea that uh, Hochul, Governor Hochul is pushing that uh, New York should have um, have the right to to set their own speed limits. So very interesting. Yeah, we can debate very that either way. Again, I'm mostly concerned about going 25 down to 20, and then what's next? Like 15 just would seem to be the natural progression, right? It seems like we're going towards no one is allowed to drive at all anymore. And, and that's concerning to me because but, we, as we talked about, we haven't adequately addressed mass transit or, or gotten infrastructure right. you know, in place that would even support such a drastic move. And so right. that's really getting ahead of ourselves, I think, you know, but to be fair. And, and it's, I think it's important to point out that this drop isn't a drop that says that it has to be 20. It's just that it's, able to be put down to 20. Oh, so it, makes, it makes it the full 20 unless otherwise set, though. So, for example, yeah. all these residential streets around here, it will, they're 25 now. It would go down to 20, right? Yeah. It, 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 it 20 no everywhere. No, no, signs no, 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 no. Most places, there are no special signs for, for speed limit. It's just the speed limit of the city, which is 25 right. now. It, only if there's a sign saying it could be more than 25 will you see that. And that's rare, right? That's uh, mostly on these big open streets. But they play games with you, like here, uh, in broad channel you know when you're going over the bridge it's a little bit higher but then it, it very quickly dumps into right. a more residential neighborhood and yeah it's 25 immediately so it's like I don't right. know, 40 to 25 so the discrepancy didn't used to be as large right and right. people obviously get a lot a lot more tickets because of that so right it is something to think about if you're on this open road where the speed limit let's say is 40 well it would drop to 20 it would drop from 40 to 20 in an instant now yeah well cop Cop could just park right there at that. At oh that yeah, spot. yeah. Or or cameras, Got cameras, right? It's, right, right, right. Seven cameras, and if it's a school zone, whatever, they're good. And yeah, it's, it's right. a cash cow. So th that is a concern. Right. All right. Well, I think we are going a little bit over the hour this time. Right. Uh, so we should probably wrap up. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. How about the the final word? I'll give you the bottom line since I took it last week. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Um, wow, bottom line. What are we bottom lining on? Um, I think, you know, I'll I'll take a look at it from this uh this fight with um this amendment fight that um uh Jenk, I believe oh. is pronounced is, is yeah. talking about. I, I understand this this idea of wanting to uh open open some of the rights up to all citizens and whatnot we also have to be a little bit careful about the the fights that we take on and what kind of unintended consequences might happen um as we pointed out that this could open the the floodgates to you know um bad actors foreign governments or whatever to come in and infiltrate our, our potential presidential uh, elections which we've already seen has had devastating consequences even in just um being able to advertise or being able to influence via social media and so we need to take a, a look at some of these these things before we go out and, and kind of grandstand or try to make um you know our visibility increase so that we're doing what we can do that's that's going to be good for the country and good for the people and not just good for ourselves personally so 
I guess that's the bottom line for me. There you go. Carter 28. <laughs> <laughs> well, sounds good. Let's do it. You can find us wherever things can be found. <laughs> Talking like a, a true politician. But <laughs> we are on YouTube. You can catch the replays, of course, Nuance with like Scott and Jay Carter. We're on Instagram at Nuance Show, right? We're on Reddit at Nuance Show as well. Yeah. So find us, get the audio version pushed directly to your devices and podcast form, wherever podcasts can be found. Like, subscribe, share, do all those good things. As always, we've got work to do. We'll catch you next time. Have a good night, everyone. <laughs>